Hi, I'm Una Campbell. I'm a professor of epidemiology and reproductive health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Professor Campbell, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet concerning a new Lancet series about maternal health that we're publishing Thursday, September the 15th. Maternal health is a subject close to the heart of The Lancet. We've covered it in many guises over the years. What's the specific aim of, of the current series? What were you hoping to get? What's the overall scope before we go into some of the details? Thanks. Well, the series is really an update on a series that was done 10 years ago. But in contrast to that series, we wanted to take a much broader perspective and look at every woman everywhere. So the series is more global and looks at a continuum of scenarios, not just in low and middle income countries, but also in high income countries. We're also interested in moving beyond just looking at the coverage of skilled birth attendants and facility delivery, and also in moving beyond looking at survival, which was the focus of the series in 2006, to look at a whole range of aspects of health not just mortality, but also morbidity and well-being. And of course, maternal health, Professor Campbell, is or certainly should be at the heart of sustainable development. It's been captured, of course, by uh, the Millennium Development Goals, as were. But now, of course, we're in this new cycle of progress towards sustainable development goals by 2030. What are your hopes and what are your fears as to how maternal health is going to fit into the SDG architecture and framework? Well, our hopes are very much that the momentum achieved in the MDG era, when we had a 43% decline in the maternal mortality ratio, will continue. We're also very cognizant that that was a time when we had our own MDG, so we're hoping that, that that momentum is maintained. We're also hoping that the new knowledge that's been generated over the last 25 years is actually used to improve services and also so we can capitalize on links with the other SDGs to achieve acceleration for maternal health. We're also hoping that maternal health might benefit from some of the wider trends in the world. For example, we know there's growing urbanization, and in some ways that will mean that women will have greater physical access to services. We know economies are growing, and so we're hoping that governments will choose to invest more in health and more in maternal health specifically. I think the fears are whether that importance and the prominence that we had when we had our own MDG will be sustained. So maternal health isn't a new topic, and we know that people are excited by what's new and different. So we're worried about fatigue and a lack of interest in maternal health, and also concerns about uh, it maybe being overshadowed by the broader development issues like um, you know, conflict. It's very hard to ensure maternal health when you're in a conflict um, situation. So concerns about losing some of the specificities that are relevant to maternal health as part of a wider agenda, and that the gaps that we see, because one of the things we talk about in this series is this sort of diversity in the patterns and the outcomes that we're seeing, we're concerned that the gaps might widen even more. If we could just turn to the series itself. There are six papers and we don't have time to go through each paper. But just touching on a couple of things, I mean, I, I think importantly, paper one sets out in numerical terms what the challenge is at the global level. Can you just give us some highlights, some top lines from paper one? One of the top line series, in the 2006 series, we talked about half a million maternal deaths, one woman dying every minute, day in and day out. But in this new series, we're focusing on pregnancy, and the numbers are much bigger. There are 210 million pregnancies that happen each year, 140 million live births. 
So if we want to care about every woman everywhere and make sure that she and her newborn get good care, we really need to be thinking about services and what's happening for all of these women. And just to give you an example of how big 20 million pregnancies is, if there was one pregnancy happening every second, 210 million pregnancies would take six, over six and a half years to actually happen. So it's a huge, huge number, and we need to provide good care for all of those women. Another statistic is that it's not just, again, emphasizing it's not just mortality, but there are 27 million episodes of morbidity from direct causes of maternal ill health alone. So these are the things like hemorrhage, obstructed labor, infection. Really a huge expansion of what we need to be thinking about when we're talking about services. Another concern, another top-line statistic is that the diversity that we're seeing in the world is actually increasing. If we look at the 10 best and the 10 worst countries, the gap in 1990 was about 100 times. The worst performing countries were 100 times worse than the best performing. If we look in 2003, we see that that gap has increased to more than 200 times. So Although the general picture for maternal mortality is good news, there's also this widening gap that we're very concerned about. We also see a big shift in the top causes of maternal death, and we have a strong sense that morbidity is also changing, so that with trends, for example, of increasing obesity, we're seeing more indirect causes of maternal health. So we're seeing more overweight women, we're seeing more diabetes in pregnancy, and that these are important things we need to start paying attention to. Paper three in this series talks very much about the context of health systems. And of course, it goes around saying that you can't talk about maternal health without looking at the health systems where maternal health services are, are provided. And, and as you just mentioned, the range and variety across our, our planet is, is enormous. And sadly, the inequities between the, the best and the worst, as you just said, it's sadly, uh, the trends are that they're increasing. Presumably, there are messages here that are important, particularly to um, policymakers in the area of health systems and, and, and particularly in financing of health systems? I think you're absolutely right. I think the first point is that provision is very variable across countries, and we have lots of different patterns and ways in which countries have tried to provide uh, maternity care. Access to services has increased so that three-quarters of women are now using facilities to deliver in, for example, but we still have a quarter of women who are completely left behind and who are delivering outside of the health system. One big message is, in some countries, we really need to make sure that women get access to services. The positive message is that we have three quarters of women who are accessing services, and here again we have a very mixed picture. So in some settings, and some women are getting really excellent care, and sometimes it's life-saving care, it saves their lives or the lives of their babies. But in other settings, we have a situation where some women are either getting services that are too little or too late, and that's a theme that's very much picked up in paper two, but also settings where women are getting too much and too, too soon. And so we have settings where women are not getting enough care and settings where they're getting too much intervention and potentially harmful care. And this means that we have a lot of poor quality care. And I think this is probably the strongest point that we'd like to make from this paper. We need to address the women left behind, but for the women who are accessing services, it's essential that they get good quality care. We don't want just a sort of ritualistic, yes, women are coming into a facility. And one thing we were able to show in the paper is that in all too many countries, 
services, health centers, health posts, hospitals are not able to provide the basic care that's needed for a routine and complicated delivery. They're not able to manage uh, emergencies and complications for the mother or for the newborn. And frankly, some of them even lack really basic infrastructure like water and sanitation. And to me, the, you know, the, it's mind-boggling to think that we have hospitals that don't have sufficient water and sanitation. Another issue is about the numbers of staff that are there. In too many places, we have a huge human resource crisis, so we don't have enough staff. And in some places, the staff really aren't trained to competency in some of the life-saving interventions, or they lack the confidence, or they're in an environment where they don't have the necessary drugs and equipment. In paper five, this is an interesting paper, isn't it? Because it, on the one hand, it's talking up how the science connected with maternal health has improved, which of course is good news. And of course, we should stress there is, as you as you said already, there, there is a lot of good news around about maternal health, despite the, the very real challenges that remain. But also paper five, as well as talking about the science of maternal health, it also talks about external factors that can really influence the ability of women to receive maternal health services, such as climate change, you know, catastrophic things happening, refugee migration status, that sort of thing. How would you just briefly crystallize a couple of points from this paper? We feel this paper is very important because we were trying to locate maternal health within a changing world and recognize, as I said at the start, that it's only part of one uh, sustainable development goal, that we felt very strongly we needed to look at the links and potential synergies to other sustainable development goals. We're very conscious that some of the changes may well be positive, particularly if, if the dividends of some of these improvements can be directed towards um, women. So, for example, um, uh, if we take urbanization, for example, if women, uh, we know that the urban population globally is growing and more and more women are moving into urban areas. So this means that some of the challenges that we have in providing services to women in remote and sparsely populated areas can be met. The challenge, though, is how we don't actually know very well how to provide uh, urban health services, particularly for poor women. So you might have a, you have a lot of diversity, you have a lot of private sector. So really, an enormous challenge in thinking how to provide services in an urban context to all women, but particularly to poor women. Another issue is, for example, economic change. If we have economic growth, that brings more potential to invest in health services. Economic change also brings vulnerability. It'd be very negative. Again, we need to understand some of the impacts of these changes on maternal health. We also have real opportunities. I mean, we talk about data revolution, and all of this gives opportunities sometimes for countries to sort of leapfrog and, and make gains maybe they're not commensurate with their level of development. So, for example, if we take an area that's dear to my heart, which is health information systems, if you're in a high- or middle-income country, most health facilities have developed their own systems, and trying to harmonize them and get them to collect comparable data is a real challenge. But if you don't have those information systems, you can think much more sensibly about how to introduce them without having to face all the, the challenges of trying to bring together a variety of, of uh, information systems that have grown in, in separate and diverse ways. We also wanted to be conscious, though, of some of the big shocks that might be coming. 
Another big potential shockwave coming in the future is the whole question of ch climate change. We don't really know how climate change will affect maternal health, but we do know that very often it's women and children that bear the brunt of changes in the climate. And this is something that we need to be very mindful of and think about what the implications might be for maternal health and maternal health services. And finally, there is a very clear call to action, paper six. Every series has one for The Lancet. And of course, it's very relevant here because as we discussed at the outset, maternal health service provision, we've moved from the MDG era into the SDG era. So it's very much about positioning, promoting maternal health within the sustainable development goal framework. What are your specific goals? There are five goals you've got for the next five years, haven't you? Yes. So the SDG3 global target for maternal mortality is to have a global maternal mortality ratio of less than 70 per 100,000. And we have a longer time frame to achieve that. But in the next five years, we think it's essential to work in partnership in five main areas. I think the first is to prioritize quality maternal health services. It's no longer sufficient just to bring women into facilities. We need to make sure they're getting good quality care that responds to the local specificities of need and meet emerging local challenges. So we're not proposing one model or one size fits all. It needs to be local, but it needs to prioritize quality services. The second priority is to promote equity. We've talked about the 25% of women who are completely left out of services. We need to make sure that we have universal coverage of quality maternal health services, including for the most vulnerable women. The third priority is to increase the resilience and strength of the health system. And we have two big challenges here. One is to optimize the health workforce, and this is a massive challenge. We know that we don't have enough health workers, and we need to also ensure that they have the right skills and competencies to deal with both normal childbirth and with complications. But also we need to improve facility capabilities. So we have far too many facilities that don't have adequate basic infrastructure, can't do routine delivery care, or cannot manage emergency complications. The fourth priority is to guarantee sustainable financing for maternal and perinatal health. I mean, this is really perhaps one of the most critical assumptions. We need resources, we need financing to come in and ensure that we have sustainable maternal and perinatal health, and this needs to come not just from donors, but from what governments are putting in to their health services. And then finally, we need to accelerate progress through evidence, advocacy, and accountability. We need evidence, both research evidence, but evidence that's tracking progress and what countries are doing. We need advocacy and accountability to hold governments and donors and indeed civil society to account. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. It's really great to have such an in-depth uh, conversation with you about it and to very much place it within the context that is so important. That is from now up until 2030. Good luck with all your work and good luck with your targets that you've just outlined. Professor Una Campbell from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. You're one of the gurus behind this New Lancet series on maternal health. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much.